appreciate the song choice tonight, and it flows very well with the message tonight. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, we're going to take a little bit of a break from our study through the epistle of Galatians, and we've been there for quite some time, and we're just going to take a little break uh, from it, probably for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll get back to our study there. I just want to encourage you tonight uh, in the Word of God, and, and I want to let the Word of God be an encouragement uh, to us. And we're going to talk about uh, reasons why we ought to rejoice and praise the Lord. And part of that is what we just sang, that it's the Lord's in control, that He's got things under control. Why should my heart be sad when the Lord is King? Amen. And so we're going to look at this psalm tonight, Psalm 33, and we'll work our way through the entire psalm, before I read it, uh, the, and we'll read the whole thing and you can follow along as I do, but before I read it, just give you a couple of little things about it. Psalm 33 is uh, a special psalm in, in this regard. They're all uh, good. They're the word of the Lord, of course. But in this regard, it's only one of four psalms that don't have a title to it. Most every psalm that you see, the, the psalm of David to whatever, they all have a title to them. Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 10 are the only other three that, that don't. But there's many who think or believe that uh, the reason Psalm 33 doesn't have a title is because it's linked to Psalm 32. And in Psalm 32, if you remember, David is praising the Lord for forgiving his sin. And Psalm 32 closes with a command to rejoice. Look at Psalm 32 and verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. And so Psalm 32 closes with this command to rejoice. And Psalm 33 opens up with the very same command in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. And these two psalms are very different in their content, but they're both centered around this one theme, and that is praise to the Lord. In Psalm 32, God is to be praised because he forgives sin. In Psalm 33, God is to be praised because he's in control. And both of these themes make God worthy to be praised. And so we're going to talk about that tonight, but by way of introduction, I just want to consider this call to praise that we find here. Let's go ahead and read these verses, and then I'll make a few comments about the first few verses before we break it down, okay? Beginning in verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spake, and it was done, he commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. 
the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. So we're going to look through this psalm and see reasons why we ought to rejoice in the Lord. But before we do, let me just give some introductory thoughts here and consider this call to praise the Lord. Go back to verse 1. And in verse 1, the saints of God are commanded to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. The word rejoice, it means to be overcome. It means to cry out, to give a ringing cry, a shout for joy. That's the command to rejoice in the Lord for this loud vocal praise to be given to God. Verse 1 also tells us that praise is comely for the upright. The word comely means beautiful. Now, there's a lot of things and a lot of emotions that we have as human beings, and there's a lot of things that can grip our hearts. We can be overcome with pride. We can be overcome with hate and with malice and with envy and unforgiveness and a host of other harmful things that don't look good on the child of God. But praise is something that looks beautiful on the child of God because we're not of the flesh anymore. We're not of this world. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. And so the Bible tells us that praise is comely. It's beautiful for the child of God. It's not a good thing to be known as somebody who's hateful, someone who's envious, someone who's proud, someone who's got uh, unforgiveness in their heart or full of malice and anger. Doesn't look so good. Doesn't look so beautiful. But praise does. Verse 2 calls on us to use our musical skill to praise him. Verse 2 says, Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. When instruments are played for the glory of the Lord, it honors the Lord because music is another form of praise to him. Verse 3 calls on us to sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. The idea of a new song means that we are to be thoughtful and we're to exercise our minds to find new ways to praise the Lord. Now, when you consider the fact that Lamentations 3.22 says that it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not, they are new Every morning, great is thy faithfulness. When you consider truth like that, it should be very clear that we have ample reasons every single day to give praise to the Lord. 
to exalt Him for His grace, for His blessing, for His goodness. We ought not to have moments of time when the questions that anybody have a praise, anything they want to praise the Lord for, and you're just like, man, wow, I just really can't think of anything. The Word of God says to sing unto Him a new song, to be finding new ways to praise the Lord when we discover new things about the character of God and the love of God and the grace of God in our life. And then as He reveals Himself more to us, day by day we have reason to praise. Verse 3 also calls on us to praise Him in such a way that we are heard by others. Notice that at the end of verse 3. He says, play skillfully with a loud noise. And this doesn't mean that we should praise Him so that others will see us, but we ought to praise the Lord in such a way that others become aware of who He is and what He's done for His people. We ought to praise Him in the congregation. And so we have this command here to praise the Lord, but then the psalmist gives us reasons why we should praise the Lord. And I want to walk through this psalm tonight Preach on this subject, why the saints should rejoice in God. And let's see some reasons why he is worthy of our praise. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us here tonight. Lord, encourage us with these truths. You're wonderful, and you're good, and you're kind, and you're gracious. You're powerful. Lord, you've given us all that we need in this life, and Lord, into eternity. And Lord, we just praise you tonight for who you are and what you are what you've done in our own lives, and Lord, help us to be the kind of people that are thankful unto the Lord and bless his name. Give us your grace here tonight and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first reason that's pointed out here in this psalm, reason why we should rejoice is we should rejoice because of God's word. Look at verse 4 down through verse 9. The Bible says, For the word of the Lord is right. And all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. We find here the first reason that we ought to rejoice in the Lord is because of His Word. And the first thing that we see about the Word of God is that the Word of God is perfect. Verse 4 says to us here that the Word of the Lord is right. The Word of the Lord is right. That word right, it means to be upright. It means to be straight. It means to be correct. And it reminds us that the Word of God sets the standard for, for righteousness, for morality, for living in this life. The Word of God also is a compass for life. It guides the people of God through the desert of this world. All around us, we see the results of abandoning truth from God's Word. Our society has been just cast adrift on the sea of life, if you will, without a rudder, without a compass. And it's getting worse and worse every day. I don't think that you would deny that. You just 
it just seems like it's, it's on the fast track now more and more. I just saw, a, 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 I think it was on Ben Shapiro, maybe Ben Shapiro's Instagram page or something like that, but he put up this clip and it was, he was talking really about the, the, the businesses of America now. Um, it's, not just, it's not just pressure from government to embrace and, and uh, you know, alternate lifestyles. It's not even alternate lifestyles anymore. They're just out in the open. Homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, all of that. It's not just pressure from government and from the left to that. Corporations and businesses are jumping on board. And I saw this clip that Ben Shapiro put up, and it was the, the company North Face. You know, we wear a lot of their clothing and Patagonia and all that stuff. And it was a transgender man, uh, clearly a man, but in women's clothing and hair and orange and purple and all kinds of stuff, the rainbow colors going on. And he says, my name is Patty Gonia. We want to invite you to come out. And he's out in the wilderness and celebrate with us. And you see... Other businesses, it's been in the news lately of all these other corporations and so on that are really jumping on and putting that pressure on the culture and on society. And it's not just you be accepting anymore. It's you, you embrace this flag and you like this or you're a cast out. That's the result of abandoning the word of God. Every culture has done that, that has departed from truth. Our nation and the world as a whole has abandoned the truth of God and, and every precept of God. And the obvious result of, of sinful men's foolish decisions when they abandon the word of God, the obvious result is just this downward spiral into immorality. Look at Romans chapter 1. It's a description of of mankind and the cultures of men who depart from truth. Those who hold the word of God, though, in their hands, who read the word of God, who honor the word of God, who live by the word of God, you and I both know how precious the word of God is and that his way is right and that when we follow Bible principles, and we live our life by truth according to the word of God, it is the correct way, the right way of blessing. We can avoid all kinds of pitfalls. The psalmist said, the word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Proverbs 6.23 says, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. That's where you, you find uh, the, the way in life. And the saints of God, we've got that compass we're, when we're in this, this uncertain world. We have a pattern after which we can live our life. And from the word of God, we can discern what God's will is for the course of our lives. And we can find out how God wants us to live day by day so that we can be pleasing to him. What I'm saying is God's word is perfect and to the saint of God, it ought to be precious and God has given it to us 
because He loves us, and it's a reason to rejoice and to praise Him for it. That He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in His Word. We should praise Him for it. Go to verse 4. We find another thing about the Word of God, that His Word is personal. Verse 4 says, For the Word of the Lord is right, and all His works are done in truth. Verse 5, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. You say, well, how does that relate to the Word of God being personal? What this is telling us is what the character and nature of God is and who He is. You see there that His works are done in truth. That's, we know something about God. Verse 5, that He loves righteousness. There's something else we know about God. And judgment. The earth is full of His goodness. We know that God is a God of goodness, and the whole earth, even though it's wicked, is still full of the goodness of God. And what I'm saying is, the Word of God teaches us about the Lord Himself. It's personal. His Word is His revelation of Himself to the world. And we learn in verse 4 that He does everything in truth. That carries the meaning of steadfastness. It also carries the meaning of it. He doesn't change. Truth is unchanging. We also learn that he loves righteousness and judgment. And it reminds us that God is going to bless those who honor his word. He's going to judge those who abandon his word. Verse 5 also teaches us that God's goodness can be seen still in everything around us. And all these truths teach us that the word of God is a revelation of the person of God. Aren't you glad for that? We're supposed to serve a God, but we don't know anything about him. And if we don't know what's right and what's wrong, and we don't know if God's standing in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to strike, and we don't know who this is, he vindictive? Is he, what kind of a God is he? He's revealed himself to us in his word. We know that he's a God of justice. Yes, but we also know that he's a God of love and mercy and that he rejoices more in mercy than in judgment. That's the kind of God that he is. How would we know that? He deals with us personally. And listen, we can, listen, when, when, when our thinking is wrong and when we are in uh, times of despair in our life and we're starting to doubt and we wonder, does God even care? What kind of, does he even know what's going on? Listen, we can go back to the word of God and we can read about him and we can understand that promise is true. I know what kind of God he is, that he does care, he does understand. Isn't that great? That's a reason to rejoice in the Lord. We're not left to wonder. God has revealed himself in this book, and it's not just any book. It's a supernatural book. And the Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse 39 that we ought to search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. God's revealed himself in his word, and we should praise him because it reveals the nature of God to us. Look at verses 6 through 9. We find something else about the word of God. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. 
and we'll read on here, but it tells us that his word is also powerful. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The word of the Lord is powerful. In these verses, the psalmist reminds us that everything we see, everything we know about nature and about creation, it was spoken into existence by the word of God. Everything that's visible, everything that's invisible, everything that's big, everything that's small, everything that's near, everything that's far, it came into existence through the word of God. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, it's recorded, the, the first time is recorded when God spoke. And when God spoke, the Bible says that light came out of darkness. And you read on through Genesis chapter 1, and over and over and over again, you hear or read the words, and God said, and God said, and God said, and miraculous things happened, amazing things when God spoke. The word of God had power then, but my friend, the word of God still has power today. Every promise that he's ever made is going to be fulfilled. Our actions are going to be judged based on his commands. The word of God is filled with power, power to change and transform lives. Listen to the testimony of his word about his word. The Bible speaks about itself. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick, that means alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sometimes you don't know when you're dealing with somebody or trying to help somebody, you don't know how to help them. You don't know what to say. You don't have the right words. Listen, just give them the word of God. The word of God is the discerner of a person's heart. The word of God is alive and powerful. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished into all good works. What I'm saying is we should praise him for his word because it's full of divine power. And it's going to stand though the entire world stands against it. God's word is going to stand. We have a reason to rejoice because of the word of God. Secondly, we also have a reason to rejoice because of his will. Not only because of his word, but also because of his will. Look back in our text there, and I want you to notice verse 10. The Bible says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Another reason to rejoice here is because of his will. In verse 10, we're told that the will of God is dominant, 
Verse 10 says, the, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. You know what? Men can make their plans. Men of this world can devise their schemes. But in the end, it's God's will that's going to be accomplished. If you look at all the political scene right now and the maneuvering of the nations, if we focus in on that kind of thing, it's possible that we can become filled with fear because we don't know. When you think of the militant regimes like Iran and North Korea, you think of the, the power and the military and the financial resource of China. When you think of the, the belligerent attitude of a Russia and so on, you think of the, the threats that are posed to, to peaceful people by radical Islam and terrorism and all of those things. It might seem to us that the world is completely out of control, and it is out of control on that plane. But none of, none of those things are out of God's control. The foolish decisions even of our own government a lot of times leave us wondering, <laughs> how is this going to play out? What's going to happen next? And we could fear if that's what we focused on, but we need not fear because God is in control of all things and he will have the final word because his will is dominant. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. To nothing. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The Bible says in Psalm 115 and verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he pleased. God is the one who's all-powerful. Not only is his will dominant, but his will is determined. Verse 11 tells us, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. The things that occur in this world, at the end of the day, they're all fitting into the plan that God has for the ages. Nothing takes place that is not allowed or part of his plan or his will in this world. And sometimes that doesn't sit well with people in our day. People, we, people want to be in control. They want to think that their thoughts and their opinions matter. We want the world to revolve around us. That's kind of how we are in our culture. But you know what? It needs to be broken to every one of us. And I'll be the one to break it to you, I guess, in case you didn't know this. What you think and what you want and what I think and what I want and my best plans and all of those things at the end of the day, they don't even matter. God is determined what will take place in this world. And that's what's going to happen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Isaiah 46 and verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, 
my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? God tells us what's going to happen, what's going on, his will. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in the heavens and in the earth, in the seas and all deep places, Psalm 135, 6. Daniel 4, 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say, what doest thou? God's in control. The concept of God being the one who's in control and that at the end, God's will is going to be done, that concept bothers some people. But you know what? For the child of God, that ought to comfort us. Amen? Because I'm reminded that day by day, God is still in control of all things, even when I don't understand what's going on and I can't see what's going to happen tomorrow. It allows me to rest in His providence and trust him to make all things work out as they should for my good and for his glory. That's what the word of God tells us. God's will is determined. And then in verse 12, we also see that God's will is desirable. In verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The psalmist mentions the nations that honor God. And he says that they're going to be blessed. I think you can see that throughout history. You can see it in the history of America. You can see it in the history of Great Britain. Both of these nations, even though men weren't perfect who ruled them, at least they acknowledged God and declared their dependence upon God. And we've been blessed of God. But you know, both of these nations have also declared their independence from God. And we can see the results all around us happening today. Abandoning God and then His truth uh, leads to God abandoning, abandoning us to our choices. That's what Romans 1 tells us too. God gave them up over to a reprobate mind to, to, to receive in themselves the natural course of their choices. That's the nations who honor the Lord. But you know there's a lesson in this for the individual as well. Those who respond to God's will by submitting to Him are going to be blessed of God. Do you want your life to have peace and contentment and joy and blessing? Surrender and yield to God. Obey His will. How do we find His will? right here. Thus saith the Lord, this is the way, walk ye in it. And you're going to find a life of blessing in it. For man to make his plans without consulting the will of God is to reject him as creator. We can go about making our plans, but we ought to say in all things, is, Lord, is this your will? Lord, is this your will for my life? Lord, is this your will that I do this thing? Lord, lead me and guide me. I want to do your will. 
And when we do the will of God, we find that it's desirable. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Listen to what Paul has to say about that in Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 9, verse 19 rather, I'm sorry, verse 19. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? I think God knows best. His will is best. His way is best. We don't have any right, actually, to say, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. I want to do my own thing. Now, sometimes the Lord lets us, but we pay the price for that. But if we'll just submit to him and yield to him, we're going to find blessing. And what I'm saying is that knowing and living by the will of God is the best pattern for living. It's a recipe for blessing. While rejecting the will of God and going against his plan is a sure recipe for judgment or spiritual disaster. How many times have people made, gotten in their head, in their mind, they're going to do this thing, and what, whatever thing that they're going to do is going to take them out of church, it's going to take them out of the will of God, it's going to start them on a new course, on a new path, and they're warned, don't do that. They do it anyway. And years later down the road, spiritual disaster. We should praise the Lord that God's will is perfect and His way is right. And if we just follow it, we find a life of blessing. It's a reason to praise the Lord. He's already got it figured out. Amen? And His will is going to be accomplished in earth and in heaven, no matter how hard the devil or people try to work against Him. And the last reason that we find in this passage for rejoicing is that we should rejoice in His watching. We should rejoice in His word, rejoice in His will, and rejoice in His watching. Verse 13, if you go back to Psalm 33. Verse 13 says, The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of His habitation, He looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. We ought to rejoice in his watching. Verses 13 to 15 tell us that his watching is something that's absolute. Notice how the Bible says here that the Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From his place or from the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. From his habitation, he looks 
on all the inhabitants of the earth. God is in heaven, but his eyes are on the affairs of men. From where he sits, he sees everything that takes place. He sees it all. There's no deed, there's no thought, there's no work that, that can occur without him having intimate knowledge of that. Hebrews 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Proverbs 15 and verse 3 uh, talks about him knowing every deed. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The Bible tells us that God knows every thought. Psalm 139 and verse 2, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Before I ever even think it, God already knows it and understands it. He knows every motive behind the actions of men. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God hears every idle word. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Matthew chapter 12. The point is, he knows everything there is to know, and nothing can be hid from him. And in one sense, that's a sobering thought. But in another sense, it's a comforting thought because it showcases his power and why he's worthy of our praise. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He knows every bad attitude, every unkind word, every thought, and yet he's still gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate and long-suffering. He knows everything there is to know about you and still loves you. He's worthy of our praise. Verses 16 and 17 show us that his watching is aware. And what I mean by that is, is notice how this is the people of the earth. There's no king saved by the multitude and host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And a horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. It tells us that out in the world, the heathen, they make their plans. They set their armies in array. But God knows it all. And their efforts are vain. And sometimes... Sometimes I think we forget that, that God is aware of every plan and every thought. He sees it all, and one day he's going to judge them according to their works, no matter how hard it may seem for us now. The day is coming. But I really want to draw your attention to verses 18 and 19 when we're talking about the watchful eye of God, because we find that his watching is affectionate. And this comforts my heart. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. The word of God has just told us that the destinies of the nations are in the Lord's hands. The decisions that determine the course of this world, they're not made in government. They're not made in Washington. They're not made in, in Beijing, China. 
The decisions that affect the course of this world are made in heaven by a sovereign, powerful God who is on his throne, who is the ruler of all things. But while God controls everything that takes place in creation, the best part is that he still has time for you and for me as an individual. The God who controls all things takes an intimate interest in your life. Notice how verse 18 says that his eye is on those who fear him and upon those who hope in his mercy. Those who are his own. Those who have trusted him for their soul's salvation. Those are the recipients of his tender watch care and his promises. And what is that promise? Verse 19 tells us that he will secure them and supply them. It says he'll deliver their soul from death to keep them alive in famine. In other words, God's going to take care of his own. He sees everything that happens to you. He sees all the pain that you go through. He sees all the problems that you have in your life. He sees the attacks. He sees the hurts. He sees the fears. He sees the valleys that you walk through, the sorrows that you endure. There is nothing that escapes his gaze. He's aware and he's watching. And it ought to cause us to be able to take a step back and in the midst of trouble, rest in the arms of God. That my God knows my need. That he's going to take care of me. That he's in control and I don't see the way and I don't know the plan, but I know he does. His eye is on your life and he knows more about your needs than you do. And he's never going to fail. He's never going to desert us. He loves us. He'll take care of us until we join him in glory. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think sometimes we need to remember verses like that. He is worthy to be praised for the fact that he watches over all things, especially the needs in your life. The psalmist goes on and he closes this psalm by expressing his resolve to continue trusting in the Lord. And he says in verse 20, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. He's never going to fail. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be, be upon us according as we hope in thee. We can rest in God's word. We can rest in his will. We can rest in his watching. We can rejoice because of who he is. And listen, as our trust in him deepens, our ability to rest in him also grows. And when we're resting in him, we can rejoice in spite of everything that is going on around us. We serve a God who's worthy to be praised, amen? He deserves our best songs. He deserves our loudest shouts. He deserves our devoted service. He's worthy of our praise, and it looks good on you. It's comely. And we should not allow other things to cloud our thinking or hide his face and his ability. We ought to take a fresh look at the Lord tonight. 
and understand that our hearts ought to be filled with praise and thanks. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed, please. Just for a moment. We don't need our piano player to come. But maybe the Lord has touched some area of your life tonight. From time to time, I need some attitude adjustment myself. I need the right kind of thinking again. And I need the Lord in his word. I need the word of God to do that for me. Because the Lord is not one to be complained about. The Lord is one who is worthy of praise. And the question is, are you giving him the praise he deserves? Do you honor him? In your life, are you thankful unto him? Do you bless his name? Or have you become distracted by some issue so that you've lost focus on him and it just doesn't seem like there's anything to rejoice about? We can start by just thanking him for his word. We can move on by saying, thank you, Lord, for your will. And Lord, I'm also thankful that you're always watching in my life and you don't let me to my own devices and you don't let me stray. And Lord, you, you're ever faithful to me. If he's spoken to you on some level tonight, let him have his way in your heart. Maybe you just need to confess that attitude of unthankfulness or complaining or get your eyes back on the blessings of God and the, the mercies of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. We thank you for its challenges and its encouragements all at the same time. And I pray that you'd help us to be refreshed and tonight from these truths and Lord, to lift up our, our eyes unto you and let our hearts be just full of praise unto the Lord for how good you are to us. We love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.